Welcome to the Open Mic Comedy Podcast. I'm your host, Mark. If this is your first time here, welcome. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. This podcast is for the people on the Open Mic Comedy Circuit, whether you're a performer, an MC, a promoter, a tutor, anybody, in fact, who has any involvement in this crazy industry. Or if you're a comedy fan who really does enjoy spending their time in pub basements seeing the possible stars of the future. Even better, if you want to join the Open Mic Comedy Circuit and you want to know what to expect, this is for you. Today's guest is someone I've shared a stage with numerous times over the last year. Her energy can be likened to the Tasmanian Devil cartoon character or the typical Australian personality of not giving two hoots on the stage. The sets are wide and varied and carry a personal touch, which makes her style of comedy feel honest and she allows the audience to come on the journey with her. Please welcome today's guest, Kim Hope. <laughs> hey, Mark. How are you doing? Oh, good, thanks. I was just listening to that um, intro and that's interesting, isn't it? Because I do try to be as honest as possible, but then I've never been one to let truth get in the way of a good joke. (laughs) (laughs) So I will take something and then go, but it would be funnier if I said that. And sometimes... Yeah, I think we're all like that in in one sense. How can we embellish slightly? Yeah, sometimes I worry because, like, I hear people on stage and who I really respect and they're like, and and I know it's true. I know that's exactly what has happened to them. I know. And I think, oh, should I be more honest? But I think because I've been kind of at this for so long on and off, I just feel like if I told you the truth, guys, it would be... We're in for yeah, we're in for peaky blinders and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and desperate housewives, you know, like this. Oh, lot, lots, there'd be a lot more drama. So, some a lot of my characters that I talk about, like relatives, are an amalgam. Like mm-hmm. my, I talk about my grandmother on stage, and she's an amalgam of several aunties as well as her. And oh, she, brilliant! And what she said to me and to my elder sister have been put into one kind of thing. So yep. I've, I've given everyone a peek behind the curtain, but if you're listening to this, I'm pretty sure you know that's what happens. Actually, my earrings are making a clacking sound, so I'm going to take them off. Uh, I'm so aware of the sound. And, uh, yeah, with with husbands or partners, they are a bit of a – because there's been so many, don't let anyone tell you I'm not good at relationships. I am because I've had heaps, right? <laughs> I'm the expert. Come to me. Um, but, yeah, so they're, 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 those partners or boyfriends are an amalgam of experiences I've had because otherwise the audience couldn't keep up. My family yeah. can't keep up. Sometimes they're like, hang on, who, who are you talking about now? Which one? And I've, the fact that I've got a sister called Narelle but two friends called Narelle, that just people are like, okay, I can't keep up with you now. <laughs> And the role's not actually a common name here. But no, yeah. I was going to say that they'll always think you're talking about them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and how how is your history in in comedy then? How how's it begun long, and the long journey? varied the journey. Ooh, um, well, actually, just thinking about it, I think I told my first joke when I was four. Okay. Apparently, I found this great this joke that I loved, and my mum and dad told me I would just walk up to people, say the joke, 
<laughs> and give them the punchline without a without a beat, without yep. a breath, without letting them answer. So it would just be this little four year old coming up, going, "What did the porcupine? What did the porcupine say when he bumped into the cactus? Excuse me, darling. That was it. Like straight through." <laughs> So that was my joke, and I told that for quite a few years. I don't remember telling it, but it's a, a thing of lore. I think and, you've uh, just brought back a horrible memory for me. Oh, I, I apologise, but spill. Um, yeah, I, I guess this is a peek behind the curtain. You just reminded me of the first joke I ever told, and it was on a stage. Okay. In front of probably about 60 people on a mm-hmm. holiday camp this is all coming back to me now <laughs> in tenerife my parents always liked liked us to be involved in kids clubs and stuff like that mm-hmm. and the first joke i ever told live to strangers was what's black and white and red all over a newspaper classic. and it probably got that reaction as well <laughs> no it's a classic it's a classic <laughs> oh no this is therapy for me now I was going to say we've crossed the line, haven't we? We did it quite early too. I'm awfully proud of myself. I'm on a therapy journey and you all must come with me. That's Sorry, brilliant. carry on. I, I've, I've interrupted I, I've, that story. I, that's reminded me of memory ping pong. When I was at high school, we did a play, an improvised show my entire year called Black and White and Red All Over. And it was based on a newspaper, July 17th newspaper we were given and we had to pick a story out of it and all of us reenacted it and then it was put on for the whole school. And I chose to do comedy in that as well. I chose to do parody in that. Mm. Um, I just think I I, I used to do things like learn really long, we have these poems in Australia called Bush Ballads, Banjo Patterson and... um, Henry Lawson wrote these long, long poems that told stories, and I would memorize them and get on stage, on stage, on stage in front of the class for show and tell, and just recite one of my poems with all the act outs for humor. (laughs) Nobody asked me to, they might have asked me not to, possibly, (laughs) if given the chance. But I didn't really kind of have any, we grew up watching a lot of British comedy, Mm -hmm. which is kind of why coming over here was the dream for me but I thought the way to get into it was through acting so I went to drama school and I was a couple of years out of drama school and because I'm not a a small person in Mm -hmm. stature I'm about five ten and a half um I know it in metric 178 centimeters if you want to do the (laughs) translation you can and so unless I was, you know, going to be cast in the role of the woman who ate Summer Bay, I really wasn't going to get much work <laughs> on TV. And I remember doing a show at Melbourne Fringe with a whole lot of uh, uh, Timberlake, Wharton, Timberlake, Wharton Baker or somebody, some very fabulous kind of name of the author and yeah. a, a playwright. And there was five five of us or six of us on stage in a 200-seat theatre and we outnumbered the audience. Oh. And I thought, I, 
just don't want to do this anymore. I don't understand the point of this. I've got things to say and I want to say them to kind of a, a willing audience. So I thought, well, stand up. We're going to do stand up. So, yeah, I did my first gig in um, way back in the olden days, turn of the century. <laughs> yes, in the 1900s. It was 1903. Um, in, in what, was it 94 or 95 I did my first gig and that's how it started, the long, wandering, meandering, stumbling journey that sees me now back again on the open mic circuit in Londinium. But you must have, something must have happened there for you to go, I want to continue doing this. Oh, that first gig was pretty good, actually. My, and a whole lot of my friends went, um, and it was at the Star and Garter Hotel, and they had, unbeknownst to me, they'd booked the whole front table. So, and you didn't need to, it wasn't a bringers thing. I think there were about three or four gigs on the circuit in Melbourne at the time. There wasn't much going on. There was a lot of TV comedy in Melbourne. So when I got, went there, I went there to go to drama school and then stayed there. And it was the the home of these comedy shows that I yep. was really, I thought, well, this is the place to be. Um, but, yeah, I was at the Star and Garter, a fabulous venue. I don't think it operates. I think it was sold years ago. And a set that I started with, because you had five minutes, and I did it in five minutes, became 15 minutes of material. But I was yep. so nervous. I took one breath in and I think I said the whole thing in, <laughs> and then I was out the other side and I felt incredible. Like I felt the most <gasps> euphoric because every joke had landed, everything that, that I, it was a mixture. It was storytelling and act outs. It was about being at a wedding and being single It and it just felt, I just you you probably had this when you first did your first gig, I imagine. Otherwise, we wouldn't go back, would we? No, it's the first hit that gets us addicted. (laughs) Yeah, if my if my first gig was my second gig, I would never have done anything else. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty much how it's gone. But the fact that the first one happened, Mm. the way it happened is is the reason I I continued. Yeah, what was your first gig? It was the, it was the showcase after a course, mm-hmm. and it was uh, it was one of those courses where um, I thought the showcase was taking part at Backyard Comedy, which is where all their showcases seem to take part, except for the one that we did. It ah. took place at Peckham Levels, which no disrespect to Peckham Levels, if you don't know it, is a converted multi-story car park. Mm-hmm. So I had the dreams of performing at one of the most famous comedy clubs in London in front of however many people would turn up to in a in the multi-level levels. car park. <laughs> in a nice room. The room was 100 people in there. Well, the, the room was about 100 people in there. I remember being told when we got turned up and you looked at the seats for the first time. Mm. You're like, wow. I said to my, my tutor, uh, just how, how many tickets have been sold? He said, oh, we had an allocation of 100, but we've sold 87. It's like... Oh, then you add the 12 comedians we've got and you, that's 100. Oh, and then it was like the, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Do you set? Yeah, it was. 
but yeah, it was a fantastic night. I enjoyed wow, it. This, oh, that, sorry, I've cut you off. Um, I was just got so excited about the fact that I have heard you say something about your first gig being in a car park in Peckham, yeah. and I imagine like a car park, like on the street. Come on, I would kill to play Peckham levels. To be fair. <laughs> I would go, yeah, I've arrived. I'm at Pe- I love Peckham levels. So that's awesome. I think it? that's also a, um, that's a, a misconception of people outside of the industry in that um, what, what we, what you see as a punter, mm. a lot of people come in to look at comedy as in TV comedy. Mm. They don't realize there's a massive underground world in effect of the stuff that goes on until you're in it. Mm. and for me doing the showcase was the that was the one only gig i was ever going to do there was no intention of doing anything else i didn't know you could do anything else it was just it was almost just to prove i could do it and that was it and then you get introduced to this underground world and you're like it is underground a lot of it literally (laughs) (laughs) there's one gig uh gmv at the star of kings that's behind a bookcase (laughs) that's the best entrance i love that i love that room i love that room i love that gig it's i have nearly killed myself on those stairs though Mm -hmm. treacherous yes was that on intentional did you go i can't do this and threw yourself down them (laughs) i had i remember walking down the stairs i had a i had a drink in one hand and i was kind of just meandering down the stairs and it must have been a little bit wet or something but one of my feet went and i i reached out my left arm to grab the banister and you know when you you overstretch yeah, and I I had that moment in my head where you're looking towards the ground, going, "I'm hitting that. I'm gonna hit that. I, there's there's nothing I can do." And somehow my left arm managed to hold me up, and I managed mm. to stay up. And did and you ho- save the pint? No, half of that oh. went over the floor. But <laughs> so, I saved sorry myself. Sorry for your from, loss. <laughs> I saved myself from going to Kyle with a bloody nose and a smashed face, going, "I can't do the second half, mate." <laughs> <laughs> oh. every time i go down those stairs now i'm always going down sideways I'd, mm. I'd get on my bum and scoot down if i thought i could get away with it <laughs> and i'd film it and we'd use it as your opener <laughs> what a, and what a time we would have <laughs> i guess that was that was so you've you've come over to australia uh, from australia sorry mm-hmm. from australia to the uk how did you find settling into the comedy scene over here and if you were sort of semi-established, I guess, over there within a circuit to yeah. starting again in a whole new circuit. I was um, I was really lucky because when I was brought over, I was brought over as a semi-professional. So I was playing some really nice rooms with some really – it was kind of to break me, you know, to get me in a professional level over here. Mm-hmm. Um. I found it, to be honest, I was terrified. If I'm going to be honest, I was just like, oh, my gosh, everyone is so good. Yeah. And there was this myth, I don't know, that there weren't any female comics on the circuit. And there were some really excellent, everyone was excellent. Everyone, the standard was so high and the... The people were so varied and talented with different styles. And in my time over here, I've just seen more and more excellent people come through. Uh, yeah, it wasn't. I wasn't the great. Here's the thing. I wasn't the great gift to 
the UK comedy scene <laughs> that uh, I had hoped I'd be or that it was implied that perhaps I'd be. You know, it's really very sobering. It's like going being great at high school and then going to uni and going, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, this level's somewhat yeah, higher. Other smart people are here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but you've 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 become a a regular name on the circuit. I think a lot of people know you, don't they? Mm, they yes. do. I'm but in sure what they do. Way? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why my Instagram tag is that Kim Hope. It's like, oh, that Kim Hope. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that's quite clever in the oh, way you can read it two different you... ways. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that came out right. <laughs> I once did a show at the comedy festival um, after a long break of stand-up, a, a long break over here. I was living over here and a friend of mine said, I'll come over and do, we'll do a show together. And I was like, oh, fair enough, you know, thinking, yeah, you're going to do something, jump in the deep end. And uh, he rang the Melbourne Comedy Festival to register the show. <laughs> he said, I'm doing it with Kim Hope. And the, the woman on the phone said, the Kim Hope. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, that could go both ways. <laughs> so for a little while I was at the. <laughs> That's, good. That's good. I know, it was it was very sweet. It's nice to be remembered. Yes. No, no. Sorry, she said tearing up. <laughs> Such a good actress as well. Such a good actress. It's not over the top at all. So you've so that touches on, I guess. Um, you mentioned Fringe. Mm-hmm. So you've oh, it's been great, a... isn't it? I cut it myself. <laughs> it's the, for the for if the you're audio listeners. I have I have the most incredible bangs <laughs> <laughs> that I do cut myself. Anyway, um, so. Touching on the fringe, as in which fringe? Which fringe are we talking? Yeah. So, have you? So, have you done the Melbourne fringe? Did you say uh, the Melbourne fringe? Yes. Um, which is in? Is it in September? There's a fringe. There's a Melbourne comedy festival as well. That's in okay. March, April. But yeah, I did do. I did do shows at the Melbourne fringe. Um, I ended up. I started my first kind of foray into it was. It was like stand up. It was a show about a, a, a show in a festival called Women's Shorts, and it okay. was short works written and performed by women. And um, I did a show called One Who Waits, and it was about waiting on tables. And yeah, I, I quite. I, it was pretty good. I was pretty proud of myself. It was a nice piece of writing. Cool. Actually, actually when I think about, sometimes I doubt my own writing skills, and I should really think about. I should go and check my CV out online that I wrote and posted <laughs> years ago because I've just, I've kind of got, it's like I've got past amnesia and I'm starting all over again going, right, I don't know anything about anything. Um, and I guess I could do with looking at my own. I do, I am, I do suffer with a little bit of self-doubt. So maybe I should go back and read my CV and go, it's all right, Kim, you have done this before. You know what you're doing. It's okay. So you've, you've also tackled Edinburgh Fringe. Yes, I have. And how was that whole experience? Oh, I've done it several times over the years. The first time I did it was a two-hander with my darling friend, Adam Richard, who's an Australian comedian and broadcaster and writer. And um, it was a show we'd done at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. 
And that was so much fun because it was just great to share that with somebody else. Yeah. Our time did get changed to a better time. We were on at one time and our t- we, there was a slot opened up, but we'd already had all of our stuff, all of our um, flyers printed by then. So we would sit on the cow gate <laughs> for the first two hours changing the times on our flyers before going out to flyer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was really fun. I loved that. And it was fun flying with somebody and sharing a show with somebody and if the way working with Adam was, it was so brilliant because if they didn't like me on the night, they'd love him. And if they, yep. if something he said fell short, I'd be there. And but because we worked so closely together and we're both extremely camp and I think the show was called Outrageous and it was aimed to be outrageous. <laughs> uh, yeah, we just, we just had a huge laugh. I mean, I do love him. He's one of the, my, closest dearest friends so with 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 setting up your own show at a fringe or a festival how how have you found the first time going out going how many tickets are are sold and if it's just the the free festival i assume it's people just turn up and then you just look at the room and go oh okay that's that's more than i expected or um well i do I do come at this from a different perspective, obviously. The first show that we did, Adam and I, was we were given a room, one of the Gilded Balloon rooms. Mm-hmm. So that was taken care of for us. And I don't think we really checked the ticket sales. We just went in to do the show. We just yep. flyed and flyed and flyed and went in to do the show. The second time I did a show was a co-production with Gilded Balloon and somebody else. And the day I ca- I checked the ticket sales, uh, there were three and I started crying uncontrollably and had to cancel the show. Oh. So I stopped checking after that. And then the next time, uh, the next year I did another show and it was produced by the Gilded Balloon. So, And then when I've done shows with... Um, other comics in the free fringe more recently i don't think we just flyer and flyer and flyer and flyer and flyer and flyer and And if people show up people show up and we make loud announcements so yeah i think i'm not very good at the admin side of it in that sense the ticket sales i will go on now after that day i cried and cried and cried (laughs) and cancelled the show because i couldn't do it my um the producer, one of the two producers, Karen Corrin from the Gilded Balloon, was one of them. This is the other producer. Said I actually had the three people that were in the audience were, and he told me, and it was like a, somebody who organises tours mm-hmm. and one of the best talent agents in, and I'd cancelled the show. Ah. So yeah, he wasn't. Um, yeah, wasn't he wasn't. Pleased. He wasn't best pleased. Yeah. So I never did it again. I never did it again. So, so I guess with with the free fringe stuff, is you've got pretty much no idea who's going to show up, how many tickets. I don't think so. Maybe you do, but I don't think you do because it's the free fringe, and they rock up, and then at the end of the fringe, you hold out a bucket, and ask for money, (laughs) which was a shock 
for me. The first free fringe <laughs> show I went to, I was like, oh, this is really good. I love this idea of the free fringe. I'm going to go here and here and here and here and here and here. And then I realized, oh, it was a fiver each time. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's not, it's not free. I wouldn't mind the $5, five, five pound fringe. Yeah. told me it was that. <laughs> um, but I got over my bad self after that. But it just came as a bit of a, I think it was the free fringe was quite new then too. So I felt the whole audience kind of go, oh, what? <laughs> yeah. It's, I guess it's, um, yeah, it's free to the point of donation. Mm-hmm. And I, I do wonder if those things work better than ticketed ticketed events sometimes because i think a lot of people possibly give more money than they would otherwise so if okay. if, if they if they walked up to the a venue they may see okay it's it's i don't know it might be three pound a ticket or something and it's somebody they've never heard of and mm. they're thinking no i'm not doing that but they go to a free thing with a donation at the end enjoy it from somebody they've never heard of and go here's a fiver mm. You know, so sometimes I think it can work the alternative way. Yeah. Oh, no, I think, look, it works for somebody they've never heard of. I think people are more willing to take a punt and just yep. walk in through a door, a, a tent flap, or whatever you're, you know, the, the, the phone booth entrance, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> the car park lift. Yeah. Car park ramp. Yeah, how happy to come up the ramp <laughs> and see what's in a three parking space. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's good. I, I like that. I like that it makes it more accessible to everybody too. I think it just needs to make it, personally, it needs to be more accessible for the performers as well. Cause the, but that's the, what the, the free fringe does, doesn't it? Don't but it's the, it's it's the um it's that end up the sheer cost of being there is just amazing, absolutely phenomenal. Just to actually, you know, just think it was like accommodation and stuff like that is just it. That's the cost, isn't it? That's the biggest cost of everything. I've heard that. I have heard that. Yeah, in recent years, the cost is what is prohibitive because when I went. The times I've been before the hike, before the pandemic, the cost wasn't that extortionate. I mean, I got a place for, it was a bit of a walk, but I don't mind walking for 800 mm-hmm. pounds. It was, for the whole you know, month. yeah, for the whole month. It was in a woman's, which was great because my partner at the time lost his job. So I had to pay rent back home as well. <laughs> Fun times. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, I, t- I took my first trip to the Edinburgh Fringe last year, mm-hmm. and I think I, I think we were there for four nights in a Premier Inn. That on average in London, a Premier Inn is going to cost you one hundred and fifty pound a night. Mm-hmm. The, the Edinburgh Fringe it cost us, I think it was two hundred and eighty five pounds a night. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so the bill at the end is over a thousand pounds for four nights in a premier it's like where's the spa (laughs) for the money you're paying you need a swimming pool and it's just it's that that point where unless you can find accommodation that you can share with somebody for a long period of time i think it's you know the the times i've been able to i i thought about going up there to try and do some kind of performance um and then you just look at the cost and go 
I'm of that age now where I can't do a youth hostel. Mm. <laughs> I just can't do something like that for me. Mm. So I look at the hotels and you just start and yeah, you go, okay, well, I, I'm now going to have to, I'm taking myself out of, uh, granted I was in the old town, so everything was walkable. I had no real travel stuff to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to have to take myself way out to bring that cost down to make it feasible. Yeah, I think they're looking into that. I certainly hope they are. But, yeah, I think the idea is, yeah, you get together with a whole group of other comedians and you just share a massive house or apartment. And yeah, when I've been there, I've slept in a cupboard. Um, I slept in an A-shaped room that was like basically the – yeah, it was like that. It was very small and very cute. I, you know, you will sleep in anything. Like the cupboard yeah. was quite big. Uh and it was in one of those old style apartments on the studenty side. But yep. yeah, you open the door and the mattress was just on the floor. And that wasn't for long. And that was just, I think, a couple of nights. And there was once where I came over and my friends had a an apartment right near the Gilded Balloon TV. And there was three of us in the room. There was Mickey, Egan, and they let me sleep on the floor. And I'm like, I'm fine with this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You just, I, I think there'll be a lot of sh- room sharing in yes. the not too, in the not too distant fringe. <clears throat> I think it's, I think it's going to have to be that way. But yeah. so, so you've not been scared off because you are, you are fringing again this year. I am myself and Kimberly Policella are doing a show. I think we're only doing a limited run at Cook. Is that not normal? And we're going to preview it. At the, we're going to start off at the Brighton Fringe for yep. nine nights and then take it to Edinburgh. <sighs> so are there plans to do previews in London before previews of the preview, in effect? I, I guess so. The thing is, look, it's, 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 I'll be honest, it's in its infancy. I'm going out to visit Kimberley next week and we're spending a couple of days together getting some ideas, photos together. Because the idea of it is a split bill, which yeah. is fairly straightforward. But we have such a unique connection. Somebody once called us the yin and yang of each other. And she is like sparkly and American and pretty and pink. And, and I am a bit scruffy. I try. I really try. I really try. <laughs> but it's, and... I just try and put makeup on. It just doesn't go in the right places and it kind of moves. And um, I try and dress nicely and I see photos of myself and go, wow. Like it's almost like Kim found somebody scrabbling through a clothes bin and she felt sorry for her and went, let's do a show together. <laughs> so I can't oh. wait to see. But we have a unique connection because we've sat together and talked about, you know, just our lives and the choices we've made. And just and Kimberly just said, "Is that not normal?" And I laughed and went, "That's got to be the title of the show." Yeah, because we've just done stuff. Going, I mean, I've kissed people and gone, "Well, I've kissed him now. We're in a relationship." And it's like, "Oh, is that not normal? Is that not what most people do?" There's a vetting <laughs> process. Oh my goodness! I'm just going to switch my laptop power on. There we go, and we're back. Time to die halfway through. <laughs> That's the idea for the show. So uh, Brighton Fringe is end of May. Yes, last week of May into June. Yep. So we're. I think it's into. I've got that on my 
diary, in my diary and on my calendar. I'm known to overestimate, so to give myself plenty of warning, I'll say, it starts now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Because I do those, I do Spotify, um, you know, three months for £10 and I do Amazon Prime like, you know, a free week and (laughs) I'll go straight to the diary as soon as I've booked it and go right two days before, a month before. But cancel Amazon Prime, cancel Spotify. <laughs> Somebody's so organised. I, oh, I forget. I, I don't like. I don't like. I think that's what it that that whole system is based on, yep. isn't it? It's a people forgetting to that they've got this ongoing. And I've been stung before. Yeah, I've been stung before. I've had two pounds come out of my account, and I'm like, what is that for? Oh. Yeah. monthly meditation app. Well, you won't get me. This will be the last time you take my two pounds. Automatic car insurance and home insurance renewals and things like that. We're doing you a favour so you don't have to remember, but uh-huh. you never look at the renewal. You see the price and go, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, Marky Mark. Get that Gotta diary get out, it. my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I've got two diaries and a calendar now. No, two calendars and a diary. Diary. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'll just go from one to the other. I've also got a list on the inside of my wardrobe of when the last time it was I did things like change the bed linen, vacuum my room, turn my plants towards the wood around and water them because I overwater plants and I forget, when did I change my bed linen? And then it's dragging itself out the door going, we need to go in the washing machine. (laughs) Right. Okay. Oh, dear. Oh, really behind the curtain now. Yeah. See, stick of the dump. I'm stick of the dump. Kimberly is like a beautiful Barbie or crystal pretty and pink Barbie. It's just like me going, eat from the bins. I need a reminder to change my underpants. You do crack me up. You really do. I'm glad. It's My a good mother job would you're say, don't laugh, it only encourages her. <laughs> <laughs> so that's actually a good thing. Though. That's, that kind of leads on nicely to the next the, the next question I've got kind of lined up is that what's the best moment ever on stage? That I have ever had or yes. just ever? Well, yeah, the best moment you've ever had on stage. I don't know if I've had it yet. I've had some pretty good moments, though. I've had the last gig I did at um, Edinburgh Fringe one year after a real slog of a festival. Hmm. was at the top of a bus, and I got there late, so they put me on last as the headliner. And the venue was a bus uh, (laughs) in the Three Sisters kind of area. They had a yurt, they had a bus, they had all kinds of things. It was a fab little kind of multi-venue, really nice vibe. And um, I got there and there were a couple of comics sitting down the bottom half of the bus because the thing was upstairs kind of going, oh, my God, there's these guys and it's just they've been really heckling and da-da-da. And I think by then I didn't, I couldn't care less. I just went, this is over. I don't care. <laughs> and um, I was I was so match fit. I was so match fit, and I knew my set so well. Like I just it, it was it, it was kind of I knew it on a cellular level. Yeah. And so I got up there, and kind of just because I didn't care, I didn't care. Yeah. And boom, got them. Like there was I I used the people down the front who are these four young guys who 
you know, four young guys normally look stricken when I come in with my heels on and stand in front of them. They're like, what? <laughs> what does this school teacher want? Uh, why just, why she got a grist packet coming out of her hair? Oh, sorry, guys, I've just been in the bin again. <laughs> but so, and the, and the heckly guys from some, I think they're on a stag do from Aberdeen. So, they tried a little bit on and I was like, I'm not having it. So I kind of addressed them directly. I don't even. And then um, the boys down the front looked so terrified and I went, look, you've scared One Direction. <laughs> <laughs> and I made it my mission to protect One Direction who were these poor boys at the front yeah. from the guys at the back who were trying to kidnap them from the money, ransom money. Was a... And then I wove my set in and out of it. And it was one of those times where I realised how good it is to know your material and know it backwards. Yeah, because you can drop in and out of it and play. Yeah, and that's what I've always told myself I need to do if I've got a really solid my set is solidly grounded, memorized to the point where I can forget it and I still know it. I can play. Yeah, the practice, 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 practice. Yeah, gig, 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 gig. Practice, practice. Like I know we can't always get up on stage because we can't afford the time or we can't you know we don't have the time we can't get there we can't get enough gigs in but you can rehearse at home you can practice at home no no i I do i agree it's um i I long for that day that i remember everything and can kind of just go and i'm going to talk about something else for just 10 seconds or reference something else that's happened in the room and not have it put me off Mm. and then have that moment where you come back and go and that's where I was. Yeah. And not have that pause and just yeah. be able to just kind of naturally fall back into it and flow. And it feels like the first time and it just feels fun. And the audience don't feel like you're, they know deep down it's a routine, but they don't know because you've, you flipped in and out of it. They don't know mm. what is the routine and what's not the routine. That's great, isn't it? And then it just becomes fun. That's really, that's great. That's a hard thing to do. I've, I've found, you know, who growing up I used to watch and who do it, did it beautifully was Billy Connolly. My, my dad was a mad Billy Connolly fan. He laughed so much he stopped breathing and fainted. We thought he was dead. <laughs> I mean, bless him, he's dead now, but Billy Connolly had nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, but he... He just would just go off on those amazing tangents and then suddenly he'd be back and the audience would roar with laughter, with recognition that he'd finally picked up the story. Because in the audience's mind, we we kind of bookmark it and go, that's what you started talking about. And um, I find sometimes if if I'm riffing with an audience or, you know, you go off on one with an audience and they're loving it, when I get back to my set, they go, they hear it, they hear the clunk. So I'm yeah. with you on that. I love being able to know my set enough for it to just be a conversation I'm having with the audience. Yeah. Goals, mate. Goals. Things yeah. to work on. Oh, yeah. There's, I, th- I think there's, um, it's one of those things where there's so much in what we do to work on. And I think it's, uh, especially at the open mic level where you are, you're generally a five, seven or a ten. You know, a five, from my experience, probably generally has 10 minutes worth of material. A seven <laughs> has 20 and a 10 has 30. Mm-hmm. And it's it's trying to work out which parts of 
which one you can use to get the best out of it. But yeah, the, totally. The... I totally agree with you. Like when I came back to came back to stand up last year, I had a set that I thought was five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> and I only got through the opening bit and the first routine. I went, oh god, I've got two more bits to go. <laughs> Yeah. And then yeah. I went, okay, what was I ending on? I'm ending on this. Okay. Pulled out emergency, pull, you know, pull handle an emergency joke, put it in there, and I was gone. But wow, I was, I looked back at my set and went, okay, so that's not five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My, my, I've got the first recording of my first ever GMB. Mm. And um, Callum was the MC, yeah. lovely guy. Yeah. I, I kind of warned him at the start and said, "Look, this is my whatever fourth gig on stage, and I'm I really will try to keep the time. I, but I don't. I've, I've got it, it's five minutes in my head, and the, the video is seven and a half minutes long. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like, oh dear, I know how because I think what um, I guess this this would be a little tip for anybody that's actually started out in this kind of crazy industry is that the, the, no matter how much you rehearse around the house you never know what breaks you're going to get mm. in terms of laughter breaks which then obviously extends your set mm. so you, you're at that stage where you you think you've got you've got five minutes of material but you don't need five minutes of material mm. you probably really only need three and a half to four minutes of material the rest is filler if it's not gone well but mm. laughter if it is going well can I just take notes? Like, <laughs> it's something I spoke to um, a mutual friend of ours, Jim Hooker, Yay. when he was talking about his um, So You Think You're Funny performance. Mm. Um, in that he, the, I think it's they've they've got a seven minute set to do. Yep. But in his semi final, he ended up running to eight because of the laughter breaks mm. that were happening. And um, but he doesn't get cut off, obviously not at that kind of stage, but. It was a seven-minute set originally, and it still was seven minutes of material and breaks, but the last was so much better than before, mm. it, ran, it overran. Yeah. And it's it, you want that. You want to speak as little as possible mm. on that stage and get all that feedback. It's like when I watch uh, Louis McLean yep. do some of his stuff. He talks so slowly and yep. so methodically. And if you actually probably counted the number of words he uses in a set, it's probably really minimal. Yeah. Because the laughs just come from the pacing of everything being so slow. Yeah. And the audience going, what's next? What's next? But I think that's the thing. It's something I deal, I struggle with. I put too many words in anyway. And because I'm so excited to be on stage. <laughs> yeah. I start to get really energetic and I blah, 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 blah. and sometimes, you know, a little bit of self-doubt will creep in and I'll try and run ahead of it and go, oh, no, I'm not listening to you. Blah, blah, blah. Look, I'm going to go over here and do this little kind of gyrate against the curtain and then I'm going to go over there. And um, it's something something I've learned from um, a book that I know you have, uh, Adam Bloom's yep. stand-up. Um, what is it? Unleash your finding your comic genius. But it just talking about taking it, like going through your set with a fine tooth comb, fine tooth comb, and taking out every single unnecessary word. Yeah, I have. So if I transcribe what I say on stage, I will sit there with my head in my hands, going, "Why are you saying this? Why? Yep. Why? What? 
what was that in aid of? <laughs> what value did that did that extra sentence Absolutely. give? So people like Louis McLean, yeah, it's that very, there's a few people I've seen on the earth and like circuit who are very, very good in this. Their sets are so spare, so yeah. spare, and they just drop them in like, it's like just little ripples and the, uh, the our imaginations go brrrt. Yeah. Whereas I think leave nothing to the imagination. <laughs> Spill it all. Spin it around. Put it in a blender. <laughs> blend it around. More, more noise, more action, more going through the bins. <laughs> more jazz hands. <laughs> but the one thing that kind of leads us round really is um, the Louis McLean set I actually saw was at a Beat the Blackout competition. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about too. I was thinking about the acts I've seen on Beat the Blackout. Yeah. Who and, beat the um, blackout? <laughs> one day, one day. Fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> but so I'd like to get your take on the gongs, the gong format for comedians and Never was thoughts. a fan. Never was a fan. Thought it's not gladiatorial. I've got enough voices in my head telling me I'm, I'm shit. I don't need the audience <laughs> to chime in with little cards that they hold up after two minutes. Um but a friend convinced me to do it because, you know, it's on a nice stage. It's in a great venue. It's incredibly well run. It's, yep. They're lovely people. And I did it. And it was, I got a real rush from it. It was like doing a massive bungee over like a, a, a moat full of crocodiles and sharks all with their mouths open. <laughs> like, it was like my massive phobia is sharks. So that was a one big, I was just like, I faced every single fear I have about stand up doing beat the blackout i have never it was like i'd walked into a a room on stage and the lack of sound that was coming from that audience was like walking into a room where there was just like clear padding between me it was soundproof like the stage had been soundproof nothing nothing is coming back I died the death, but they kept me on there for about three minutes and 45 seconds. I was just goading them, come on. I was looking at the lights going, I've got two more to go. Raise your cards. And it's almost like they were going, but no, because we know you want it. Yeah, It was that, that first Beat the Blackout reminded me of my first death on stage that, wasn't intentional and wasn't it a it was when I was new I had a set that worked really really well but I made the mistake of when I went back to do the gigs again back on to do the same set of gigs that I'd done before of doing a completely different set didn't I yeah which worked well in one venue worked well at another venue but when I got to the third venue Silence, silencio. <laughs> yeah, it's all the cards would have been held up. The lights would have gone out immediately. It reminded me of that, but in but because I knew that was a built-in experience, it was a great way of facing my fears. And I had a massive rush afterwards. I was so. I still don't know that I like them because I've done it again, and I did feel wildly demoralised after it. <laughs> but it's just a great way of facing. Because you know, because part of me goes, but that is doable. You can beat that blackout. 
Yeah. So, of course, myself, that, that, that inner critic goes, then what are you doing wrong? Why aren't you good enough to beat that blackout? Because those people are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I yeah, I, I completely get those feelings. So it's, I it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's one of those shows where you kind of think, why didn't I do it? What 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 did I do wrong? What what was it that offended those three cards? There's something that I've said. Was it was it my tone? Was it being boring? Was it just not a funny joke for them? What I don't know what it was. And you almost want everyone that holds the card up to say one word on why they did it. And if they turn up and say, I just didn't like that joke, mm. fine. You, you, I was getting bored. Okay, fine. Mm. Because I believe the Ding Dong Gong show do that. They have like a panel of judges. Oh wow! And um, the so if you get through or get gonged off or whatever, then the judges will. Ha- I guess they ha- their their aim is to have a bit of a laugh with you and try and you know in in effect help you for next time. Right. Is that the one in Vauxhall? Yes. I haven't done that one yet. I know you were going to, and they had to pull it that night because I was coming to watch you to see what it was like. Yeah. (laughs) We'll get there. Yes, we will. So you're you're still up for doing more gongs as such? I think so. I think so, but what I'd really like to do is I've got some new ideas, like stuff for the the show with Kimberly, that I want to really – hone and sharpen and then take them to that stage and see how they fly there. I don't want to go back with the the whimsy, the Tasmanian tiger devil (laughs) energy tiger there, extinct. (laughs) Yes, there might be something in that. Uh, See, this this is what I do, isn't it? I go off on a tangent, away we go. So, yeah, I'm I'm not averse to it. I'm not keen on doing ones where you don't even get a shot like you were telling me about which one is it that you just can walk on say hi my yeah. name's kim and they go Boo! that's <laughs> um that's the one that's the comedy stores one. Ah, oh, brutal <laughs> but I, I think there is something to say for if you're of a thick-skinned nature mm. for as a comic and can accept that people aren't going to like you and genuinely accept that people aren't going to like you, not just say, oh, yeah, I'm not going to be for everyone. Mm. Um, and have and almost you don't feel humiliated being voted off because you'll never be the only one. Mm. But as a comic, walking on a stage at, up the creek mm-hmm. when you're used to the open mic downstairs of a pub or no stage somewhere else and you're just standing in front of people, whatever it is, <laughs> to actually stand on the stage of a comedy club that's designed for that purpose yeah. is extremely thrilling. And knowing you get two minutes just to stand there and do your thing, you can stand there for two minutes and don't say a word and just soak in that you are on this stage. Wouldn't recommend I think that it. that has something. Wouldn't recommend you do that. Would no. recommend you give it a try because what a waste of makeup on a travel card, you know? <laughs> you know what I mean, though. It's that, that feeling of not I've arrived, but this is well, what. you have arrived at your destination because <laughs> Google Maps told you that. But, I, look, I do, I do understand. I do understand. It's not that I don't agree, but perhaps that's not the way I see it. But I do understand your point of view. Yeah. 
Cool. I just remember the the padded room that I walked into and went so hard. I find I find to beat the blackout funny because audience members will come up to you afterwards and tell you, I really loved you. I wouldn't have <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. okay. It's okay. It's okay. I did get the blackout and that's fine. Like I'm I'm not upset. You but thank you for your Yeah, I'm not upset. Why are you eating all those chips then? Because <laughs> <laughs> Because there's the Codfather down the road, and and they sell really amazing chips. Hi, <laughs> Are you hurting your feelings? What the you say that? Right. Um, what's your um your favourite joke you've ever told? How did you come up with it, and how has it evolved over time? Well, I do think you cannot beat the classic, what did the porcupine say when he bumped into the cactus? Excuse me, darling. Over time, I've learned to pause and uh, let the audience potentially answer before I hit them with the punch. Uh, Let me see. Well, I talk a lot of my early stuff has evolved over time. But one of my favourite jokes is just a joke about... um, well, it's a joke about masturbation, let's face it. And I just, I was listening to another uh, a t- audio cassette that somebody gave me of a, a comedians um, in the day, back in the day. And it was a, it was over, I think it was a comedian called Kathy Ladman an American comedian, and she had this great joke about her husband, um, her and her husband watching TV, and she was. She said, I farted watching the football or something, and he said, that's not very ladylike. And she said, neither's a blowjob, but I don't hear you complaining about that. Now, I don't know if I've done something wrong there by telling somebody else's joke, no, like no. I don't know, so I do apologize. It's a it struck me as one of the best jokes I've ever heard, just in the complete way, just the surprise element, the way she flipped it. Yeah, so I took that structure and put something that had happened to me into it and did the reverse on it like that. And it's a joke that I won't tell here because it still works to this day. And I sometimes Good. use it as a closer. And it is the pull the cord in emergency closer joke if I've suddenly gone, oh, I've just been flashed and I've still got at least half of my set to do. <laughs> so I'll say it then. But over time, oh, damn, I hate it, but it was one of those jokes that came out spot on. Yeah. It hasn't, I haven't need to tweak it and that's one of my issues. So I love a tweak. I love a polish. And sometimes yep. people will go, oh, I used to tell it like this. And and I think, oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, I should go back to that recording and have a listen. Yeah. So that's that so, joke. What's your favourite joke? Uh, my favourite joke. The, my my favourite joke is, is kind of the three parts in my set where um, – if if things aren't going well in my set, the, these three lines generally get a very good laugh and kind of bring people back on. And it's the premise is, is that um, when a man's asked what he's thinking, 
and the, the the stuff that goes on inside a bloke's brain is never very interesting. It's always very something yeah. stupid. And the the three lines I always come up with is um, I'm thinking about do if do dogs lick humans because they're full of bones. Um, seventy two hour deodorant. Who came up with that? Who wakes up on a Monday, reaches for the Lynx Africa, and says, "Well, that's me done till Thursday." Mm. And um, I did originally have um, the next one was and um, was everybody really kung fu fighting, which only works for a certain generation. Yep, it works for me. I love yeah. that joke. <laughs> so it's kind of I've 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 adapted that one now to be um, if Cinderella's slipper was such a perfect fit, why did it fall off in the first place? That's great. I like that. That is great. And that works across all ages because obviously everyone knows who Cinderella is. That but... is such a great joke. <laughs> Thank you. Well done for Kung Fu fighting not being something that crosses all generations. <laughs> it really did disappoint me, that one. When, when the first time that one didn't work, mm. it was like, oh. And I looked through the audience and went, oh. You were born this century. Yes, Mm. I understand why that didn't work. Um, So yeah, those are my that's my that's my favourite sequence of jokes, I guess. Because that is a great joke. Oh, that look! If I wrote that, I'd have taken the day off, (laughs) the week off. Man, well done. It's one of those weird weird jokes that you think I probably heard it before. And it's just where, where, where's it cut? I, mm. I'm, I'm sure I haven't, I'm not the first person to say it. It's probably ended up on a, a meme somewhere and I've, mm. I've seen it and it, it's that sort of thing that fits with the story. And I've gone, yeah, let, let, let's use that. Because the, the dogs, the dogs licking humans because they're full of bones. Mm. That's, that's got a, a touch of a slow burn to it mm. in that it, it, once people get it, they don't get it straight away. There's oh. always that little sort of like a probably like one and a half seconds of gap and then it hits. And that's the beauty of that joke. I don't want it to hit first. Mm-hmm. It needs that, that thought process of going, aha. <laughs> Is that why my dog does that? I thought he loved me. Because <laughs> it's one of the it's one of those situations I think where if you're an, if you're a person that analyzes stuff quite deeply, I I am that person, yeah. and I saw a comedian who who was doing a routine that was around those words. What are you thinking? Which is what my whole routine was based around. And I'm seeing a professional comedian do it, and I've looked at my wife and gone, "Can I ever do mine again? Because if this goes out, they're just going to think I've copied it." Yeah. And he used a similar kind of way of doing things, like, you know, about how men's brains are stupid. They don't think of anything relevant. He said, and one of the examples he gave was, why does a wheelbarrow have only have three wheels? And I thought, that's really good. And then I thought about it and go, well, if you had four, you couldn't steer it. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And there's the analytical brain inside me going, no, that's, that's a flawed joke somewhere. Yeah. But yeah, I try to try to keep things as simple as I can, and 
And also, I don't, I don't know any wheelbarrows with three wheels. I thought they only had one. But anyway, I oh, am no, a pedant. You're, see, now you've analysed it even further. Yeah, oh, yeah, I will. When <laughs> oh, look, I analysed the, the expression double-edged sword and I was like, aren't they all? Like, aren't they all? Otherwise, what you're talking about is a butter knife. And um, <laughs> then I said that on stage finally and a whole lot of comedians did come up to me and correct me and tell me lots and lots of different swords that have one one edge. And I thought, ah. Oh, Great. The nerds are in. Yes. <laughs> the dungeons, Sorry. The Dungeons and Dragons boys are in and they're telling me about their swords. Okay. Oh, yeah. So, so you performed on many stages. I have. Uh, in front of lots of people. I have. Now, we are, we are now seeing Kim Hope's uh, Friends show go nationwide with a final date at the Hammersmith Apollo in front of 5,000 people. What music do you walk out to? Oh, Four Kicks by Kings of Leon. Four Kicks. Yeah. I could just see it in my head. Oh, you described it. I could see the audience. <laughs> I could hear and me walking out amongst all the smoke, <laughs> probably having a coughing fit, you know, <laughs> all that haze. <laughs> Ah, ruining it from the start, thinking I'll do a little bit of improv. <laughs> oh, you could never ruin it, I don't think. Oh, yeah, I love that. Thank you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just lie down and I've got to meditate on that. Do some, do some um, what's it, what's the secret, 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 you know, the, <laughs> the visual, the secret, secret, secret. If you visualise it, it'll come. It's like, ooh, okay, here we go. Back to you. Sorry, Mark. I just no. went off on one again. <laughs> that, that, that's the that's the beauty of these. Oh, they are casual casual chats with, hey. with with a plan, but the plan can be whatever we choose it to be. <laughs> that's my attitude to life and to obviously to stand up. I'm like, I'm doing this. I'm not doing this now. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't live without doing this. Okay, I'm back doing it again. Okay, I'm tired. Okay. Okay, I'm married. Okay, I'm divorced. Okay, I'm heartbroken. Okay. It's just, yeah. See, that, that's an interesting thing we spoke about in the past, actually, about the uh, the stopping and starting doing it mm. and what keeps bringing you back into it. Yeah. I think the thing is with me, I can't not do it. Mm. I have tried not to do it. I've tried to parlay a career enjoyment out of any number of different things. I've tried relationships. I've tried food. I've tried booze. I really did try with booze. Uh, We were together for so long, so long. We nearly got to our silver anniversary. Oh, I'm so heartbroken. Um, did I, I had I had my present all planned, uh, concussion probably. And <laughs> so, yeah, and relationships. Like I've just tried to fill that feeling inside, but there is nothing like doing stand-up. I just love making people laugh. I will make the postman laugh. I work at, um, at, at the stage door in a couple of West End theatres, just a little bit of part-time because I love to interact with people. And um, I find just writing on my own in a room sometimes very, yeah, there's, there's, I'm never alone because there's that chorus, 
in my head. The Greek yeah. chorus that sings several kinds of different <laughs> harmonies on how bad I am or do you remember when you did this and I'm sitting here going, oh, no. But so I will try. I I will try to make the postman laugh. I will try to make the people who come in to do the seller laugh. I will try to make the DHO go out. Like I just love, love the, the lift, the elevation that laughter gives people. Yeah, and I guess you you just you can, it's that you you can cheer somebody's day up. Yeah, just for that little, and it, it, I think when you do that, you're not just making them happy. You're making yourself happy because you know you've you've not so much achieve something but you've you spread some joy for somebody else yeah look there is you know there is something it, it it's not a one way very um benevolent kind of i don't want anyone to know it was me who made you feel good it's like it's very much an ego i, I made you laugh i made you laugh <laughs> i feel great now <laughs> i wasn't an asshole hooray <laughs> high five me <laughs> Everyone applaud me. I wasn't an asshole <laughs> to someone. <laughs> so on on the open mic circuit at the moment, mm. um, is there anything you'd change? Mm. Funny that you – yeah, you know what? I do think about this. I think it would be – first of all, I think it would be incredibly difficult to run an open mic night. Yeah. I think because of – yeah, there's just lots of variables there. And and you want your acts to be reliable and when you're not paying them, it's, you know, they might not be as reliable or they're new or they don't know how it works or you have a set of rules and they don't follow them and that kind of thing. So I think there's so much. I, I, I applaud anyone who does it. And I, this might <clears throat> stop me from, this might have me banned from any open mic nights. I'm sure it won't. They're sometimes a bit long. <laughs> because of the people you've got there you've got people who aren't doing this professionally they're amateur which means you do it for the love of it for the yep. sheer joy of doing it professional means you get paid to do it so they're not professional in that sense you're asking them to come along to sit through the entire evening of of, of acts that may be variable standards but we're all there for each other we're all there to support each other You've, yep. uh, you're asked to bring some friends along to make it an audience and to contribute toward the bucket at the end of the night. A lot of people have jobs that they have to get to or they've come from a job and their friends have got jobs that they've got to get to or they've come from a job. And it's sometimes when the, it, it stretches on and you can see midnight, you know. Yeah. It's, it's difficult to ask your friends to stay, especially if they've just seen, they've already seen you and you're who they really did come to see because they're your pals. Yeah. Um, it's I, 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 my throat closes up thinking about it. Like I've been on at the end of those nights or toward the end and the audiences have left at the interval or they've left several acts before I've gotten on because it's, it's just so long. Yeah. And then the, you know, there's always a bucket or you're asked to contribute. Um, some of them you've already paid to get in, but then they ask for a bit more money at the end. And yeah. There's nobody there to pay apart from the acts because your friends have got. Do you know what I mean? It's just, I love the open mic night. I, I love nights. I love the open mic circuit. It's so rich and abundant, and there's so many gigs, and you can get better by doing open mic. But it's, it's that. It's like okay, 
I'm going to be exhausted tomorrow. I would go to an open mic night every single night, but I, sometimes I just go, do I have the energy yep. and the financial means to contribute to every single one and to be here every night, night after night after night? With You know, I, okay, I'll stop there. I tend to run on and then regret what I've said, but I do think sometimes they're a bit long. Yeah, yeah. No, so I mean, if your if your night's going to end at ten o'clock, then great. Mm. If your night's going to run till eleven, half eleven, you're like, yeah, I get it, get it completely. Because the ultimate thing is the whole bringer scene is if you you want your bringer to want to come along to have fun and not yeah. just enjoy you. Yeah, you want to introduce them to this world, and if, yeah. if they end up being there and not wanting to be part of it after it then they're not going to come again yeah yeah i actually i never thought about that you do want to introduce your friends to this amazing world like you said this amazing network this underground scene of comedy that is in london and so many good people my friend who came to my first gig last year he had such a great time he just really he's always like when are you on again when are you on again like and he and it was an open mic night and he was my bringer and he came along at the last minute and it just was such a good night he really really enjoyed it yeah and that's what you want and he's been telling people and now you know people in his street all want to come along to a gig and (laughs) but it's also they do have jobs so they've got to be able to get out of that gig in time to come home wash their face go to bed get up for work and not be dead the next day and the good thing about it is you bring your friends. If they want to stay and they want to come to more open mic nights and they've got jobs, they're really going to contribute to the pot at the end of the night. They yes. really, really are. Yeah. Like my mates chuck a tenner in and I'm like, hey, 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 I bought them. Remember I bought them. <laughs> Remember them, my friend. No, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very true point, I think, that, that those that come away from the night enjoying it without feeling like oh, I need you know they're checking the time to go i've got mm. a train to get or whatever yeah. else you know they they are going to contribute more and they're going they're going to be future audience members as well that's true and you're right too because people come from out of town to yep. do these gigs so a lot of acts i know i'm walking back with them and they're going oh i've got to go on this train because the tube because i've got to get here because i've got my last train out of london is and i'm like oh wow okay i've got to go to northfields Anyway, <laughs> sorry, I was keeping you chatting and just offering you some of my chips and uh, you have to get to a major train station to get out of London. <laughs> yeah. But again, I um, say that and I say, but it's not hard and I don't know what the variables are and how many people you need to get on to make it a viable thing for you either. I don't know because I don't no. run them. Yeah, no, it's it's from a, it's purely from a... These these kind of things are purely more from a selfish comedian's out, point of view, yeah. and that's who I am. Hi, in a weird kind of way. I mean, I've spoken to some people that are open mic promoters, and they've said we want the bringers, and the reason we want the bringers is because of the audience, because no comedian wants to turn up and just perform in front of other comedians, which again is a hundred percent valid argument. Mm. So it's it's having that I think finding that happy medium between the two mm. that can make it viable give the comedian what they require from that night and want to do it again. Yeah. And what the promoter wants to do it again, you know, um, but most promoters seem to stick around for quite a while from what I've seen. Mm. 
I've not seen any nights that have started up that suddenly have just gone, no, we're not doing it anymore. Good. So there, there must be something in it for them. Yeah. A lot of them do it, I think, because they love comedy. Yeah. Like, really do. Just love comedy and comedians. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. Which I appreciate. <laughs> we want to be loved. We want to oh, be loved. Oh, I want to be loved. I've moved across the world. I mean, I've got a family that absolutely adore me in Australia and friends and relatives, and I've gone, yeah, see, I'm off to make a room full of strangers. Admire <laughs> me. It made the postman laugh today. My mum's sitting there going, I need you here. My friend's cat died. I'm like, but the guy from DHL thinks I'm really funny. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> um, one last thing on this um this podcast, this new yes. podcast I'm doing. Um, I have this little um, book. Mm-hmm. This is called mm. The Little Book of Shit Jokes by Sid Finch. Hey. Are they um, jokes about poo? <laughs> uh, not all of them. Maybe oh. some. Um, <laughs> the idea is I want to challenge every comedian to pick a joke from this book yes. and use it in their set. They can use it just once. They can adjust the joke if they want to make it fit better within their set. But the premise has to stay the same. And then record it, post it, tag, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, promotion. accepted. <laughs> but you have to pick. You get to pick the joke. Right. But you only get to pick it by a page number. So oh. you don't. I don't know what's going to come up and you don't know what's going to come up until you give me a number between 5 and 95. The number? 67. 67. 67. It's been taken. We have two jokes on this page. Would you like joke number one or joke number two? <laughs> it's the little book of shit jokes. I'll have it number is. two. <laughs> okay. The, See what the I joke? did? <laughs> yeah, people. Come along, Kim Hart. Uh, <laughs> is that not jo- normal? Come along and uh, hear those kinds of comedy styling and watch me make this joke my own. Yes. So the joke you're going to try and make your own is a limbo dancer walks into a bar. She's disqualified immediately. Hells yeah. Hells yeah. yeah. Is that not a joke you can genuinely see me doing and selling? (laughs) (laughs) And not see me slightly limboing. Oh, oh. It's got actions in it. It's got actions in it. It's got injury, threat of injury. Uh, it's yep. got losing, which I love. <laughs> oh, I'm so good at that too. <laughs> but get yeah, get the video of it and then uh, either send it to me or post it on Instagram and, and tag us in it. And, I can't uh, wait. We'll share it about. and want to see how many comedians uh, away from the podcast actually do this. Oh, my God. I'm doing it at Beat the Blackout. <laughs> <laughs> I'm opening with it. You no, can do it in the two minutes. At the two minutes, yes, yes, yes. I'll be like, guys, you got to bear with me. I've got a really good joke. I'm going to drop it in. Uh, 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 you'll be so uh, glad you witted. <laughs> as soon as those lights go, dunk. Yeah, you tell the joke. Uh, okay, and then, people. Then are what you ready? <laughs> no, I think I might tease it out. I'll go right that way. Okay, okay, you ready? I'm going to tell it. Maybe, actually, no, that wasn't it. Wait, it's coming. Wait, you're going to love it. You're going to love it. Uh, and I'll just keep them. I'll string them along. Yeah. I'll string them along like a vixen, I, like a comedy vixen. That's not what they do. But anyway. I've actually thought of using a jo- this book mm-hmm. or a book like this mm-hmm. with these type of really short jokes as my set. So it's a case of um, the audience will control what they hear in that manner. Uh, but you could also 
<laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> and you could also Joe Coy it, like the guy that hosted the Golden Globes. If it doesn't uh, work, you can go, I didn't write it. I didn't yeah. write it. I didn't write that one. I was like, wow, how ungracious. <laughs> I didn't write that. You're, uh, uh, you'll laugh at mine because they're funny, but I didn't write this. Book of shit jokes. They're meant to be shit. Hello. <laughs> that would be great. It's like choose your own adventure, Mark. It's yeah, because like I, I actually, I kind of did this, what I've just done with you, but I did it live at the end of last year. I did a gig um, and uh, all the acts were given 10 minutes this time. So we did our 10 minutes and I needed a bit of filler at the end. And I had this book in my back pocket. So I asked, shout out to the audience and asked the audience for the random number. And I said, the jokes in this book fit the MC perfectly. They're his style, puns, etc. So I, I threw it out to him and said, this is the joke I want to hear you say at the next gig we do together. Oh, wow. So I'm interested to see if he does it. Oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> that's so funny, Mark. You're such a clever man. Cinderella shoe. Come on now. How did I not see that? It does. It makes me laugh though when you when you look at people's jokes and you you, you listen to something and you go, "Why? Why did you have that mm. idea? Mm. And I haven't had that idea. Mm. What what what's the difference in in the two that that creates that? And you kind of go, "I wish I'd thought of that." I've I got really one do. joke where people do say, oh, "I love that joke. Why didn't I think of that?" Da 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 da, and it's thought. I thought probably because it wasn't a, a standard that was used to traumatise you growing up, <laughs> that you've needed to unpack, that you've yep. needed to pick apart in order to, and to take the piss out of, in order to neutralise it. Yeah. Using Kidman, not guns, because you're not allowed to shoot people. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Okay, I so, uh... almost got through without doing anything that made me cringe, and I had to say that right at the end. <laughs> I don't know. It's fun. It's it's a lot of fun. That's what we're here for. It's fun. Good. So tell the good people, I know you mentioned it earlier, um, where they can find you. They can find me at on Instagram at thatkimhope.com. No, thatkimhope. <laughs> I do have a website, but I've, I haven't touched it in years. And also uh, we've got our own, the show is going to have its own little Instagram page at Is That Not Funny? Oh, no, is that not is that not normal? Is that not normal? So yeah, that's it. And Kimberly Policella, I think, is at Kimberly Policella on Instagram. So you give her a follow. She's yep. going to be f- huge. She's going to be famous. You better watch her. <laughs> She's already fabulous. The fame is just a, a scented candle away. <laughs> wow. She's off again. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, uh, you can just for all the all the listeners. I say that's hopefully uh, the listeners that we've got. Please come back next time. You can find us uh, Open Mic Comedy Pod on Instagram and all the W's Open Mic Comedy Pod dot com. Oh wow! Uh, we are on pretty much every platform. So whichever platform you're listening to us on, please give us a follow, a subscribe, a review, five stars or zero only, please, because. One, two, three, and four mean nothing. And I believe on uh, Spotify, you can even ask a question. So if you want to do that, please do that and give us some feedback. This is very new, so feedback's welcome. Um, 
And until next time, thank you, Kim. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's been a delight. Thank you for asking me. And everybody that is geeking out there, stay funny on stage and survive those gong nights. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.